0: to the TMBA podcast. Of course, this is the pod where in 2019, we intend to bring you 52 episodes every Thursday morning designed to help you grow a better lifestyle business, one that you can run from anywhere on the planet. To that end, today's interview is with Tommy Joyner. He's the co-founder of contentpros.io, which is a quality content generation business. And the angle specifically we're going to talk about, and I know a lot of TMBA listeners are interested in this, is how to create a successful productized service rather than getting stuck in a freelance, consultant, or agency model.
1: So you're not working with clients anymore. You're working with customers. The relationship's a bit more transactional. You're not focused on results as much as you are providing just something that people need
0: in general. Now, Tommy is going to share some really cool insights that really resonated with me. And specifically, we're going to talk about the skills that you do and importantly don't need. And I've often talked about on this show, I think one of the historical accidents that helped me in my entrepreneurial journey was that I didn't have a specific skill set or core talent that sort of got me into business, which is actually the opposite of what motivates a lot of people to get into services and client services and productized services and all this stuff. Also, it's like what a lot of people teach online. So in my case, I had to employ others from the start.
1: And if you are talented and that's actually what you have done for a living, it's going to be more difficult for you to make that transition because you're dealing with like all sorts of mental pre-programming.
0: And stick around to the end of this one too, because Tommy's going to give his top four recommendations for starting a successful productized service business. And some of his suggestions are really counterintuitive and different from what gurus talk about on the web. So I started this interview with a little bit of Tommy's backstory, which includes some key life experiences that would one day kick in to help in Tommy's entrepreneurial journey. So here he is, age 23 in 2008, and in the midst of the dreaded GFC, or global financial crisis.
1: I'll tell you a story before it tells itself.
0: Eventually, I landed in
1: commercial insurance. And I've worked there for two years. That turned out to be such a blessing because I learned how to sell and I gained a lot of confidence in just, you know, cold calling and knocking on doors, which was horribly uncomfortable. And I hated my life during that period of time, but I'm very grateful for that. I wasn't very good at first at all. Probably like throughout my whole tenure there, I started to figure out some things at the end in terms of like how to connect with people in like different organizations and happy hours and stuff and and just kind of like make friends and sell through those type of relationships which I find to be much more effective but yeah at first it was just like I took a really abrasive approach to you know cold calling people putting myself into awkward situations and like stating that you know I wanted them to buy something from me but not developing any rapport just like going through a standard pitch telling them information not connecting emotionally doing a lot of things that I understand work
0: now So you worked there for two years. Why did you leave?
1: I didn't see any future. Like, I mean, there was like one conversation that I had with my boss. We were driving to see a prospect at one point and he was like, man, in like 10 or 12 years, you just keep doing what you're doing right now. You're not really going to have to work that much. You'll have like a huge recurring income stream. You'll be set, man. And we were in like a Dodge truck and he's like, you'll be driving a truck like this. And I was like, I don't even like this truck. (laughs) So it was just like that conversation. Plus, I just, I always dreamt about doing this, man. I mean, we're in Chiang Mai right now. Like I always dreamt about getting abroad and that was that was always on the back of my mind.
0: Why was it in the back of your mind? I don't know, man. Probably because I read The
1: 4-Hour work week. And then my buddy that actually had that book, I mean, a little while later, he ended up getting a, a teaching job in South Korea, which I followed suit and ultimately ended up there as well. But that little like spark, definitely like planted a seed that I really wanted to see through.
0: So you started to see the dead end with the sales job, but it seems like a pretty big step back to go teach English in South Korea. What was the narrative in your mind about that move?
1: Yeah, it does. Especially the way that I did it. Cause that's like something that a lot of kids usually do like right after college. By the time I got to South Korea and started teaching English, I was already 26. So I had friends that, were well on their way into like their careers some friends that he stayed in the states and started businesses and were doing different things and i had like just felt like i really lost my way but i also felt like i gave it enough of a whirl in the corporate world to know like okay i don't want to do this like i want to get some sort of international exposure like i don't know where this is going to take me but i know i don't want to be in the states so it was just more of a feeling than anything else I was never passionate about teaching English. That wasn't like why I went there in the first place. It was more of like a passport to kind of like figure some shit out and save some money. And then after that, I went to, like I volunteered in Indonesia for like a month and a half and did some scuba diving down there. And then I went to Colombia, studied Spanish
0: for two months. So you're burning all this money that you saved.
1: Yeah. But I was like, you know, I was in a pretty good spot. I had money saved up for my job. Plus I sold my apartment. Plus I saved all that money from South Korea. So I had like a good cushion to explore a little bit and i was i gave myself like three months of like okay go volunteer go like learn spanish because you want to do that and then try to like open the four-hour work week back up and like see what that's all about
0: had you been exposed to any of that scene while you were in korea
1: not at all man not until i got to medellin and then i met people from the dc my business partner was in the exosphere program with them tyler gillespie so he was actually there and he offered me, you know, their couch, so it was the five of us in an apartment for like a month. And that was like my first landing when I got to Medellin. And I was really intrigued by like what everybody was doing, but I also felt like such an imposter because that was something like I would have liked to do, but like when I was surrounded around people that were actually living like that, it felt like it definitely felt intimidating and I didn't feel, I mean I I didn't have anything going. So it was really interesting, but just going to parties and just being around those people definitely like That in particular, just like staying at that apartment for a little while, that changed
0: everything. So what happened? In Medellin? Yeah. In terms of how like I started. Yeah. I mean, you're running out of money sleeping on a couch, man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Those are the best moments, man. You're 28. At that time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm 28. And I'm like, damn, I'm almost 30. And you have like this clock ticking in the back of your head. And I'm like, okay, like good thing I left at 26. Now I'm 28. Like, what am I going to do? I bought Noah Kagan's course, like how to make $1,000 online or whatever. And I started taking that and I started doing like some of those fear challenges where you like walk up to the register and ask for like 10%
0: off of like whatever you buy. So in Noah Kagan's course, there's challenges to change your mindset. Is that fair to say?
1: Yep, that's like what the first part of the course is about. And this is often so overlooked in entrepreneurship. Like, you know, once you go through it, you realize like how important those steps are. I mean, you have to like get to the point where you can care what people think, but like not to the point where it stops you from like actually trying things and doing stuff. Otherwise you're just going to be paralyzed because like that resistance is real.
0: I can relate to you. Like I started my first business when I was 26, 27, and you don't have much to say for yourself. You know, people are challenging you to like do something better with your life or to retain your career. And uh, they have really good arguments. I think that's like a really difficult part to get through as well. I mean, you're going to have days where
1: you don't feel like you accomplished anything like you're just sitting there and you're trying to kind of like figure out what to do but that's almost just as important as the days that are like productive when you do get a lot of stuff done because ultimately you can't move forward on something
0: unless you have focus so what was the day that something good happened
1: so originally like me and my business partner were hustling trying to sell an ebook for like 50 bucks what was it called it was about like how to get a job teaching English in, many in Colombia. We bit off a lot, like we were trying to create this whole like really comprehensive guidebook before we really sold it. We were trying to pre-sell it. People were kind of like balking at our prices. English teachers that didn't have money.
0: How come you guys were business partners, by the way? If you didn't have any money, like,
1: that's a good question. I recommend this to people starting out too. It's like, I mean, I could go out on my own now and start my own business and be by myself a hundred percent and be totally comfortable doing that. But at the time we were like crutches for each other. Like we were our own support system. Like we had the same dream in terms of what we were trying to do with our life. What was the dream? I mean, the first dream was just to be able to not have to go back home and <laughs> like not run out of money, be able to stay in Colombia or wherever I wanted to be. And, not have to go back to my parents' couch.
0: Well, when was the moment that you knew you didn't have to go home to the couch? Well, that day in the cafe.
1: So like we were hustling on Elance. We were actually like hiring graphic designers and my, my business partner flipped his profile around. So he became a freelancer on Elance.
0: So you were hiring graphic designers for your English speaking guide. Right. And then he signed up
1: for an account as a freelancer. And I was like, what are you doing, bro? He's like, I think there's jobs on here. Like people need help with stuff. Like I'm just gonna like do some stuff. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, what are you going to do? Like, we're not like designers or anything, man. What do you think you can sell? And he sells a dude on a package of autoresponders for his personal development website for $5,000.
0: So how long did it go from him putting up the freelancer profile to selling the $5,000 program? I think it took about a week. And then when he did that, I was like,
1: whoa, it's possible and I made an account, and then I sold a guy. It took me about two weeks, and I sold a guy on a project for $6,000. And at that point, I mean, we're still hiring out contractors to like write. We hired writers from day one. I think we were more entrepreneurial than some people who start out that way because they're actually fulfilling the work. Like We never fulfilled the work. We went and found writers to work with right away.
0: I want to interject here. I can really relate to that, and I consider it a virtue, or a fortunate fall in my case, or a fortunate defect that I don't have any skills. And so my skill has always been being the Tom Sawyer is basically convincing other people to do the work at the right price. And had I been a graphic designer, had I been a copywriter, had I been someone who's a great editor, I might've fallen into the trap of selling things and then turning around and doing them myself. So kudos to you. I think that that's actually a great rule of thumb to follow if you want to start a service business set that rule for yourself and absolutely do not fulfill the work refuse to fulfill the work on your own
1: i totally agree with that and if you are talented and that's actually what you have done for living it's going to be more difficult for you to make that transition because you're dealing with like all sorts of mental pre-programming that's going to be hard for you to come by so if you're like us and you're just a dunce and you can't do it anyway then like you automatically have to skip it and i I do consider that a blessing as well because if you look at books like the e-myth Or built to sell, or whatever, that are predicated on like being more of an entrepreneur and a business owner than an operator. I mean, if you can't operate at least on like the artistic level, where you're really starting out and actually creating whatever it is that you're selling, I mean, you have to skip that
0: step. So you guys are. This is 2014 at this point.
1: We're into 2014. We nailed on our first actual contracts in March of 2014. That was the start of it all, and then. We sold like over twenty thousand dollars within forty five days of like getting jobs on. Now that was there were some receivables and like that took a long time to collect and whatnot and like we learned a lot. But when when we did that, I was just like, Whoa, I can actually like I have enough money to go back to Denver this summer, kick it in Colorado to see my family. Like, I don't actually have to get a job, like we can do this.
0: Have you ever doubted it since that moment?
1: Yeah, for sure. Because there's a There's a transition involved in like going from like a project based agency where you can make really good margins. You know, I mean, we were making like 80% margins and keeping a lot of that cash and the margin, like the whole margin, you know, that was just going to me and my business partner. That's what we were paying ourselves with. And then when you want to hire other people and when you want to build systems and when you want to actually like, when you have to rely on software that you have to pay for on a regular monthly basis.
0: And you have to have marketing programs running in the background to keep your leads coming in. Yep.
1: Like all that stuff is going to eat away at your money. Even if you do have really
0: good margins, like it's going to eat a lot of money. So in the service business, it's easy to have that initial high. And then your trough of sorrow is essentially saying, well, how am I going to fulfill and how am I going to sustain? Yep. And it can be a long trough of sorrow
1: because we did that for probably like two years before we were like, dude, we literally have to
0: sell every week, every month. You guys were basically like hustle, travel, hustle, travel.
1: Yeah. And like, you know, one-off project and some people would come back for more work, but most people wouldn't. And, you know, occasionally you'd get a referral or whatever. So like, you still have to hustle and like, you got to fill, you got to eat and you got to keep on like going through that cycle. So it was like, what are we going to do to like actually have a business? We didn't even know we were an agency. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just outsourcing work that people needed. We didn't even refer to ourselves as, as anything. We just called ourselves like an email marketing company because we were doing lots of emails and like some basic sales funnel build outs.
0: And what was the first step to making that transition to getting, I guess, more business oriented, more serious about it?
1: I mean, I think it got to the point where, I mean, it was just, it was really painful to picture a lifestyle moving forward where we were just going to continue doing what we were doing and at least not try to remove ourselves from the business or at least put something in place that would allow us to have like an asset that someone might buy in the future or something like that. Because ultimately you're not building anything. I mean, you can't sell yourself to anyone else, which is, I'm not advocating that everyone has to do that, but like, it's something that you need to consider.
0: All right, everybody, for Christmas, I bought myself an ad spot on the podcast. I want you guys to go check out dynamitejobs.co if you haven't been there lately. I remember back when I used to have a sourcing manager that I work with in China, and I still remember this email subject line he sent me one year. It was so surprising. The subject line was just this. New year, new job. And when I opened that email, it turned out that he wanted to leave the company he was working for and come work for me. And that was an enormous opportunity for me. So if you're looking for a new job in the new year, an enormous opportunity that can change your lifestyle over at dynamitejobs.co, we only list jobs from legit companies that are providing Jobs with a great deal of schedule and location freedom. Remote jobs means you don't have to go to an office, no more commute, and work for legit interesting companies. So if you want a new job in the new year, go check out dynamitejobs.co. I got to highlight the one thing that jumped out to me about Tommy's experience was that moment when he went on to Upwork, he uses sales skills to hustle up some revenue. And then right away turned around and hired someone to deliver the product. You know, there's certain things in entrepreneurship that are really difficult to do. And I think one of them for most of us is delegating and trusting others to do the work. You know, Michael Lombardi, who was a guest on the show a few weeks ago, often says that great teams in football are ones that can win when they're forced to play left handed. And I think for most of us coming from a professional background or a collegiate background, left-handed for us is actually not doing the work and inspiring or empowering or trusting others to do the work. And so I would challenge all of you who haven't yet played left-handed yet to tie that hand behind your back and you know and ask yourself the question, what if you only sold things that you could not deliver yourself? And this moment in Tommy's journey really stuck out at me. Instead of taking an easier path at the beginning, which would be to you know lock yourself in a room over the weekend and drink a bunch of coffee and finish off the project, instead it was like, nope, I'm going to tie that hand behind my back, and I'm going to go and hire someone immediately. So the reason I was so inspired to talk to Tommy wasn't necessarily because of his backstory, although it, it turned out to be very interesting when we sat down and talked, but it was because of some of the unintuitive approaches he's taken to building contentpros.io and how some of those strategies have helped him result in turning what can be a difficult way to grow a business into a quite a successful one. So let's move on to the creation of the current incarnation of contentpros.io, which is a productized service providing customers with a set number of words for things like blog posts and press releases on a monthly recurring subscription. So Tommy now employs three full-time, fully remote staff, who handle around 100 freelance writers and 30 editors.
1: We've gone from full-blown agency to basically productized service,
0: which was quite an evolution. How do you visualize the difference between an agency and a productized service then?
1: I have friends that run really successful agencies. So I don't think there's anything like necessarily wrong with that model per se, but I think they're entirely different businesses in terms of like what you're trying to do. Like when I think of an agency, I think of fewer customers, I think of like lots more moving parts. I think of a lot higher touch. And I think about like results, like you better be getting your customers results because like, that's why they're working with you in the first place. And likely, you know, if you're doing it right, they're paying you, you know, $10,000 a month at least.
0: And how do you look at a product a service?
1: The other big distinction that I would say is like for an agency, like we're talking about clients, right? We actually changed the terminology that we used when we wanted to shift into a productized service. And we don't call our clients clients, we call them customers. So you're not working with clients anymore. You're working with customers. The relationship's a bit more transactional. You're not focused on results as much as you are providing just something that people need in general. You're not... Freaked out about losing your client because you're not getting them results and you're afraid that they're going to go with someone else so much as you are just keeping the relationship nice and good enough so that they'll stay. I mean, the relationship in either of those cases is super important, but there's a little less pressure on the relationship in the productized service model because you're a little bit
0: more commoditized. It feels like in the agency model, oftentimes the client wants a pound of flesh, they want to actually see how you're going to react and behave when there's stress in the client's business. Whereas with the productized service model, it's a little bit more about like tweaking the knobs on the product to make sure it's a good fit between you and whatever it is their their expectation is.
1: Totally. And at some point, you know, hopefully not tweaking at all. I mean, you offer what you offer and like you can give people like some perceived flexibility in terms of like what you offer within your productized service. You know, we can do kind of like within this range. So it gives them the illusion that, that you're kind of like customizing and tailoring whatever you're doing for them versus the client side of things where like you literally might hire a graphic designer or someone like for a service that you weren't even planning on offering and then all of a sudden like bolt that on to whatever you're doing for your customer, client.
0: I've said on the show a bunch of times that you can start a productized service business in a weekend. Do you think that's fair?
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think some experience required having done that before would make it a lot easier like right now i could think of a million different productized services that i could start tomorrow just cuz i've like been through the process and kind of iterated but i think for a lot of people like if it's your first time starting a productized service and you don't have any experience you're going to have too many deliverables you're probably going to pick something that like maybe people don't want to pay for on a regular monthly basis and your churn rate's going to be incredibly high and you're going to have to battle through those things
0: So many people can start a productized service in a weekend. Easy come, easy go. But right now you have a full-time staff, 100 writers that you can call on. And is it fair to say how many clients you have right now on recurring?
1: We have just over 50 on
0: monthly recurring packages. So you've built a meaningful productized service business. What allowed you guys to succeed when so many others fail when going down this path?
1: I think... My business partner and I have really thick skin. Like when we got into this in the first place, like we didn't give ourselves another option in terms of like what else we were going to do. And the current iteration of our business is probably like almost three years old now in terms of like getting it to what was some sort of a semblance of like what we've ultimately created at this point. But I think just perseverance and like having to go through a ton of ups and downs, like to, to get to a point where like we achieved any stability whatsoever.
0: What was a moment when you felt stable? Do we ever feel fully stable? (laughs) No. So when we
1: first started with monthly content subscriptions, our churn rate was literally like 80%. We got people on board to pay us a set number of dollars for X number of blog posts per month. And we sold like all on ROI.
0: What does it mean to sell something on
1: ROI? So when I first got into this, like I understand the benefits of content marketing if someone does it for a long time, and if they do it correctly. And that was what I was trying to pitch rather than being a legitimate productized service. Like I don't sell on results at all anymore. And I don't think that's necessary. If you have a productized service, as long as you have a service that someone needs, there's going to be someone out there that buys it. All of these people that sell services related to digital marketing that talk about how much money it's going to make their customers, I think oftentimes are, are making a mistake. You don't necessarily need to do that and then you're setting yourself up like for tremendous failure if you aren't actually able to to capitalize on those results for folks. How did you realize that? Well, first of all, you have to figure out a way to track them and then show people that you're actually getting results for them. And second of all, if you don't get results in something like content marketing for somebody that's a little bit impatient. I mean we had people literally after thirty days before we had even published a blog post on their site tell us that like they weren't seeing results and cancel their plan. (laughs) So, I mean, that's pretty tough to deal with. But even after 90 days, which is still not a tremendous amount of time to get results through content marketing, they would cancel. And then, you know, we have other customers who've stayed on with us for a long time that have seen crazy organic traffic growth on their site and like some really beautiful things. But I stopped guaranteeing that because so much of it was out of our control. Like our customers, they have to have, you know, their own strategy behind that. They have to have other things going on.
0: How can you identify a service then that, people might need but doesn't directly tie it to results well i mean design pickles done a really good job with that
1: russ perry sells an unlimited design subscription for a monthly fee of like 370 bucks and you know you just pay a set monthly fee and then you submit designs on the back end of their platform and you get them back as they're queued up i really love the way that he actually sells the unlimited too because it's not really unlimited like if you submit a bunch of designs they're going to go into a queue and you can't get like 25 designs back in a day but the way that he presents it kind of like protects them from anyone saying like hey i submitted a thousand designs and i i didn't get them back it's like a very reasonable expectation
0: so design pickle's not saying we're going to make your business great design pickle's saying you need designs i can give them to you
1: yeah so we're saying like you need blog posts like we can write them for you and you need blog posts that are better than other blogging services out there So pay us a little more than what you could find with a lot of these services and we'll do it well for you. We found a void in higher quality content than what was out there. How do you define that? Basically, I just like did some straight up recon and started using blogging services to see how they were. And the results that we were getting back were such crap. And I wasn't super surprised because we were paying, you know, not much money to get
0: a blog post. So you mentioned you only work with English native speakers.
1: Yeah, so all of our writers are most of them live in the states or are from the states
0: originally. How do the economics work out though if you know you're paying world-class writers to generate the content? How then can you turn around and sell to your clients and make a meaningful profit? I think his name is Ben McAdams. He's finance dude in the DC. Yeah. Ben McAdam is the uh, virtual CFO.
1: Good dude. I was put in touch with Ben. And this was just like maybe like nine months ago or so. And he told me like a really good rule of thumb for like any service based business. I mean, you just have to make sure that your gross margin is 60% or more. So, in our case, for example, your gross margin is like what we charge for a blog post and then what we pay our writers and our editors. All of your other expenses and the other things aren't counted in
0: that. I see. So, did that change the way you ran your business when you heard about that 60% figure?
1: Yeah. Embarrassingly enough, even earlier this year, that figure had gotten all the way down to thirty-eight percent for us. Our prices were too low and we were paying our writers too much.
0: What was your strategy to follow up on Ben's advice?
1: I mean, we figured it, it was gonna be easier to lower prices in terms of what we were paying writers than it was gonna be to raise customers on our pricing plans. I was less scared to lose writers than I was to lose customers. So the first thing that we did was pay two cents less per word. For writers, we did a test, actually. So we paid writers two cents less per word than what we were paying them before. And I had our hiring manager go out and hire a bunch of different writers. And then we compared the articles that we got back. And we noticed that there was zero difference in quality.
0: And did you go back to the writers that were at a higher price point and ask them to take a pay cut?
1: Everybody did. We didn't lose one writer.
0: What do you spend your marketing budget on?
1: Prior to... A few months ago, we did all cold email outreach to get our customers, which got us to 50. We still do some cold outreach. So I spend some money on LinkedIn outreach and
0: also like Facebook Messenger outreach. So how are you able to convert? Wait, Facebook Messenger outreach? Yeah. What? Tell me about that.
1: Facebook messages are really good, man. So actually, one of the the hacks that we had earlier this year that got shut down, which was a super good way, we got a ton of customers from this. There was this google chrome extension called grouply and you could actually download all the information from a facebook group you could extract their personal information and you could run it through hunter dot and you could get all of their email addresses so you could put a crafty email together like directed at that facebook group and then hit them up on on email which was super effective but facebook messenger i mean you can still do the same thing so we actually have a buddy of mine that runs a marketing company. He actually, he doesn't let me in on all of his secrets in terms of like how he actually automates this, but he essentially messages people just outbound messages like you would do cold email in Facebook Messenger in certain groups that we tell him to, to target. And then we just start a conversation. And that's actually been, been really good. If they're friendly at first and they're like willing to hear your pitch or just like say, hey, like let's hop on a call. The second thing that i I do in Facebook messenger, what I've started doing, which works really well is I just record a video and I send it back to him And then we just get like a little rapport built. Wow. And I think that's really powerful. That's something I used to do back in the day, like on Odesk and Elance and now Upwork in terms of video proposals.
0: Like what would you say on the video? How does it, how does it work? I guess the first
1: thing that people say usually is like, Hey, tell me like, that sounds interesting. I'd be interested in getting on a call. So I'd say, you know, Hey Dan, what's going on man? Thanks so much for responding. I would love to hop on a call. Like we're actually working on a a white label program with some of our agencies right now. It's been super effective for them. I think you would really be interested in hearing about it. White label would essentially be like a discounted rate that you sell to someone else who's going to resell it. So in our case, we have a white label program for agencies, which is a very discounted rate that they can then sell to their customers and still be able to make margin on top
0: of that. So Dan's SEO agency goes to Tommy and I buy your white label product, which means you're going to deliver this content marketing to my client and you're going to respect my relationship with my client and allow me to put my name on it basically. Exactly. And then I take a 20% margin over what I'm paying you. So I get to value add to my customers. Yep. Why does it make a lot of sense to white label rather than selling retail?
1: The stickiness of an agency customer, if you do it right, is way more than a retail client regardless of how much they're paying. Why? They have like built-in anti-fragility already with like their own company. So like they have a basket full of customers themselves that they're working hard to keep. And if they actually need content, like we do work with a lot of SEO agencies that are always going to need content. So like as long as you're doing your job and you're doing it well, they're already trying to keep these customers and they're going to continue to need the content that you're actually producing for them so i think that's that's the number one reason is like there's just more of an opportunity for that to be a long-term customer
0: so and i'd like to point out for people listening to this this is an example of the knowledge gap versus the efficiency gap i don't know if people have been listening to the tropical mba for years it's this idea that in a way i can analyze what you're doing is you're saying like you're selling directly to people who really understand the value of what you do they're willing to pay for it because they're paying for efficiency. They're not paying because, you know, Joe Blow's fish company needs SEO. And like, if you really cared about SEO, he'd probably already have it or his old SEO guy f***ed off or whatever. But the point is, is he runs a fish store. Like SEO isn't his bag. Whereas for these agencies, SEO is is what they do. You mentioned at the top of the show that if I were to challenge you to go out and start a service business, that you think you'd have an edge right now because of your experience. Could we maybe workshop some of the ideas that people could, I mean, offhand, are there productized service ideas that you'd be willing to donate?
1: The best way to come up with an idea for a productized service, like the way that I started making money online to begin with was just going on freelance websites and look for what people were asking for. So I think that's obviously a really good approach. One that I've thought about a lot that we didn't fully capitalize on that I guess we kind of could still do, but I think somebody could really niche down on. And I haven't seen a company out there that does this extraordinarily well are like monthly recurring email newsletters. You could also offer like packages of editing, just editing and proofreading on a regular monthly basis
0: that people would pay you for. Tommy, I bring up ideas like this for years on this show. Why is it hard for people to execute well on those ideas? What does it mean to really do a good job?
1: I'll tell you a story about what happened to us in 2017, like to give people a little context of like the ups and downs that you go through in terms of trying to execute and put a like an effective system in place to actually like produce things like this. So when you start a productized service business, I mean, you can get a couple customers pretty quick, but at some point, I mean, really like the issues with scale start after like five.
0: And when you say issues of scale, you mean it becomes difficult to fulfill for your clients?
1: Exactly and just manage all the freelancers and everything that you have going on all of a sudden.
0: You get scared to bring on more clients. Yeah, because it's like drinking from a fire hose. Right.
1: One of my friends who has a big SEO agency that's extremely productized and they've done a really good well to scale to extraordinary heights is a bit of a savant when it comes to like operations. So I would always ask him for like advice in terms of like what we should do with our business. And he's just like Facebook ads, man. Facebook ads and just just sell, man. Facebook ads, sales guys, just get their calendars booked, like get them on calls and just just sell, man. Sell out of your problems. And my business partner and I are pretty good at sales. So like we've actually, we've sold ourselves into problems before where we actually have had fulfillment issues. And then we have like all these issues with scale. So we changed project management softwares six times in 2017. It was such a journey.
0: You were tool shopping.
1: Yeah, we were tool shopping. And for a while... I mean, my business partner led the charge on this and I was so frustrated. So we were on the verge of about to invest like a serious amount of money and just building out like a custom back end. And then all of a sudden, my buddy who I told you about earlier sends me a quick link. The guy who says you can sell yourself out of problems. Yeah. So the guy who says you can sell yourself out of problems sends me a quick link. And he was like, hey, man, we set up a little white label program with these guys. They have a pretty cool software. It might work for your business. And I checked it out and it's called serviceproviderpro.com. I'm glad to be giving them a shout out right here because anyone that's trying to start a productized service business that doesn't know about these guys and most people don't know about them should check them out because I mean, it's exactly what you need to create the type of like client facing interaction that you would want and a way to set your products up on the back end where like they're literally just like digital packages that people can buy and then you can set up monthly subscriptions really easy that link with Stripe or Braintree or
0: whatever. So people are buying products through your project management software?
1: Yeah, so they place orders directly through there and they can even build their subscriptions. I mean, you can also customize it. Like our web developer has gone in there and like customized some pages where people can build their own subscription based on how many words they want per month.
0: That's cool. Do you have to be a good salesperson to run a productized service business or a service business?
1: I think so. I mean, like you either have to have extraordinary execution and make something that's so badass that everyone's just gonna want to use it but in order to get to like your first set amount of customers like you're just gonna have to hustle regardless and i think that requires sales skills and i think that requires like picking up the phone and hunting
0: and getting after it for sure you mentioned you guys have been through a bunch of ups and downs like tell me some of the things that were really challenging for you guys well,
1: there were a couple of times like along this journey in particular where we were trying to build up like the monthly subscription base and, you know, we lost like half of our customers or whatever.
0: Why would you lose half your customers?
1: Well, at first, like we were charging a pretty high fee. And like I told you, we were selling on ROI initially. So we got up to like 25 customers at one point. And then like a month and a half later, we were down to like 12. And that was pretty deflating because it took a long time like a year to get to 25, right? And to lose half of that and to understand like the amount of effort required to buckle down and fix that.
0: Can you give me an example, like the old sales pitch? Maybe imagine yourself making a video for me and I'm Dan's fish shop or whatever, and I wanna buy this ROI package from you. I'm gonna get content and words from you. How are you selling it to me and what's the price?
1: Man, I'm gonna tell you, and you're gonna understand why it was like pretty difficult for me to sell these in the first place. I can't believe I convinced anyone to do this, but hey, it's a big fish shop. (laughs) So Dan, I have a package of four 1,500 word blog posts per month that will sell to you for $2,800, 1,500 words. So about 6,000 words total. Within those, we'll give you like a couple social media posts and stuff and like a quick email blurb to accompany the blog. We're not going to publish any of this on your site. We're just going to deliver you, you Word documents. You're going to pay us on a regular monthly subscription basis. And oh, by the way, I don't have like any real samples to show you, and I'm not willing to do one for free. So the way that we're going to get started is you're going to pay me $2,800 for this package, and you're going to sign, as well,
0: a 90-day minimum agreement with me. Okay. So I'm saying, hmm, this guy wants 6000 bucks from me. And then I still got to figure out who's going to post and promote this stuff. Exactly. All right. So now how has it evolved?
1: So now you can get started as little as one 500 word blog post per month with us. We offer a 60% discount off your first order. So you essentially have a severely discounted trial with us in order to actually see what the service is like, interact with our team, and then you can decide what subscription would work best for you. So you can go ahead and get started right now. You can get started on either a 500, 1,000 or 1,500 word blog post, 60% off our retail rate. After you go th- through the process, let us know if you like it. You can build your own subscription on the back end, get started. There's no minimum commitment. You can sign up for a monthly fee and take advantage of the discounts if you would like.
0: So you have less churn by lowering the barrier to entry. Yeah. Some marketing experts would advise the opposite.
1: Yeah, I think you can do it the other way. I think it takes a while. And I think you have to have something that's really badass to sell. And I think if you're doing that again, like I think that puts you in agency realm. Like if you're going to sell like a high dollar monthly recurring retainer, I don't think you're building a product high service. You're building a boutique agency and you're going to have like boutique expectations from your clients.
0: Why don't you want to build an agency?
1: I don't even know if I have like enough domain knowledge to run an agency in terms of like how I would put those packages together for someone and like actually make it be successful for them. Like that puts a lot of pressure on me and you, whoever you are to like, just know that you're going to get results for this customer and to to take on that, like to shoulder that responsibility. Whereas with a productized service, like I just have to make sure that our writers are really good and they write what you already want us to write in a way that you're going to be proud of. So the stakes are a lot
0: different. My name is Dan. I want to start an Instagram productized service. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide like six relevant hashtags, 250 word blurbs, and three engaging photos a week, as well as like a call to action link. And this is like the productized service. And I think a lot of people they want to build an Instagram account, but they don't they don't have the time to do it. Is that a good idea? I think
1: it's a solid idea, Dan. But I think you might run into some issues in terms of the expectations that your customers have associated with like how fast that Instagram account's going to grow, how many followers you're actually going to get them, etc. So the way that I would actually like reposition and sell that, like I think you could sell it I would never lead with like, we're going to grow your Instagram account because I think there's a segment of buyers out there who are still concerned about growing their Instagram account, but they're more concerned about someone getting content up like consistently that's in line with they want. There might be some people that don't even really care as much about the metrics of how quickly their account is growing as opposed to like the type of the quality of content that's actually on there. So, I mean, you could do what we did. I mean, it's the same thing with blog posts if you want your organic traffic to grow a lot over the course of X period of time, I mean, you're going to need to post a lot and you're going to need to have like a strategy and you're going to really need to commit to that. But at the same time, we don't sell on that regardless. We just sell you already want to write on your blog or you already are writing on your blog. You want to plug into a strategy. Cool. We'll do the posts. So in that case, yeah, I mean like create a really badass Instagram post. That's, that's hard. That's content. That's time consuming. Like it takes a really good eye to get a good image matched up with like, a snippet of text or whatever it ends up being.
0: Let's try to distill the Tommy Joyner approach to productized services. Number one rule. Number one rule. I mean, don't overcomplicate things. Number two, don't sell based on ROI. Don't sell based on ROI. That's a big one. You want to sell to people that value whatever you're delivering in and of itself, not as a means to an end. Exactly. That's a really good way to put it. And then number three, mind your operation.
1: Yeah. And if I were to add a number four, it would be establish something on the front end that allows people to try out your service for free or at a significantly discounted rate so that they can actually see what you're all about.
0: That's great stuff. Thanks for joining us on the
1: TMBA pod, Tommy. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yo, big thanks to Tommy for coming on the show today. And it's actually really great to get back to talking about productized services and taking a look at what can work in 2019 and beyond. We actually have a full series of episodes. It's up to 12 at this point on this productized services business model that you can check out at our website, tropicalmba.com, and just click the best of at the top and you'll find the series there. And If you want to check out the show notes and links to everything we mentioned in today's episode, do check out tropicalmba.com slash Tommy Joiner. And as always, thanks for joining us. Here's to a happy and productive 2019 to you and your family. And as always, we'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.